you're listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here joined by my father, Erwin Raphael McManus, and our good friends in the booth, Brooke Odom and Austin St. John. I am out of the studio this week. I am in Hawaii on a little surf trip with a few friends and woke up to what is the tragic news uh, of Russia invading Ukraine. And it's a bit of a heavier morning and felt the need to pray before this podcast, go into this and feel the weight of the day. And, you know, we were on the phone early this morning, dad, and and saying that, that we really need to speak on what's going on around the world, that it felt like everything else. We hadn't talked about the Rams Super Bowl win. We hadn't talked about so many different topics, fun topics, but we felt that uh, today we need to talk about this. So I welcome you to the podcast, dad. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good to be here with you. And it is uh, a heavy, um, a heavy day and a heavy topic that we're going to try to engage in some way. And, and um, we do not claim the level of expertise to understand all the implications of international diplomacy and, and, uh, you know, this particular engagement, but, um, but we do have thoughts. And I think this is an important conversation to dive into. Uh, we want to just really extend our deep um, affection and concern uh, for the people of Ukraine. And I, I, maybe it's my own optimism, but I believe there are millions of Russian people who do not want war, who do not want to see this escalation. I think that there are millions of people in the Ukraine and million people, millions of people in, in Russia who um, are against what's happening in this moment. And uh, we, we are praying for you. And uh, if you're listening from Ukraine or from the surrounding countries of Moldova and Romania and uh, Crimea and just other um, regions. And, and it's just important to remember that just because human suffering is at a distance doesn't mean that we should be indifferent to it. Uh, there are people genuinely suffering. There are children and um, husbands and wives, families that in this moment are uh, fearing for their lives and um, just really want to extend our hearts to them and our prayers to them. Um, our friends, um, you know, Sasha, Ross, her families are um, from that region of the world, from, from Russia, from uh, Moldova. Um, they have great relationships all over that region of the world. And, and, uh, and, and some of them had to rush out of the countries as fast as they could. So here we are. And, um, and there's just, I think, so much to unwrap here. And I don't know, Aaron, if you want to uh, just begin by talking to me about the, some of the friends that reach out to you right away, because that's kind of what even instigates some of the conversations. You have friends who are Ukrainian who started yeah, sending yeah. out some... DMs and and letting yeah, people know so what's I, going on. Yeah, so have some have some friends from Ukraine, uh, friends from back in the New York days who are posting on Instagram. I think a lot of people are posting. A lot of people are posting the you know prayers with Ukraine, praying with Ukraine. But no, my friend is actually f from Ukraine. Um, her family is back in uh, I think in Romania and in Ukraine, and her grandmother and aunts are still in the city uh, outside of Kiev. They're evacu trying to evacuate. They said they were unable to escape that they actually instead are, are going into subway systems, I guess using as bomb shelter, I'm not sure, or maybe they're using the subways to, to get outside the city, I'm not entirely sure, um, but they were on the phone when the bombings were happening 
and basically had to jump off the phone to finish packing to try to get out of the city and they were unable to get out of the city. But um, I just responded to their Instagram story saying, you know, we're praying with you, praying for you and, and with you and anything you need, please let us know. I'm not sure how we can help, but, um, you know, and then, and kind of shared, uh, they, they would know we have a podcast, reached out to our friends, uh, Ross and Sasha and Sasha is on a plane. Ross, Ross is, uh, is in Moldova and just asking, you know, what's going on? What are you hearing? They said they're driving to the borders to pick up family. They said hundreds, if not thousands, are trying to escape across the borders immediately. Um, from the looks of the photos that I've seen, that it seems thousands and the tens of thousands are trying to get out of the city of Kiev. I mean, Kiev is 2.9 million. Uh, the country is 43 million, I want to say. We're not talking about a small city, you know. This is this is a major, major city in in Europe and in um, a major nation in a major the, nation on the world scale. Yeah, it, this is this is and it's a big deal. And so to, we were going to sleep last night. Uh, obviously, we're it, it's weird to be on island time because everything is so far behind. But just watching videos and kind of seeing blogs and watching kind of the 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 sub underground, I guess blog systems, not so much the CNN and Fox News, but watching like locals posting in Ukraine, locals posting and uh, from the suburbs and from the cities, uh, helicopters, gunships, uh, fighter pilots, missiles going off. I even watched a few videos of, I think they had a downed Russian uh, helicopter over mm. a lake and the, they were parachuting out. Uh, and it just is seems like uh, it's a, a disaster. Right. Mm. And, and this is an act of war and this should not be tolerated by anyone. Yeah, And I think just for context, um, I, I, I'm old enough to remember the former Soviet Union. And in fact, the Soviet Union was uh, what I knew most of my life and, and the collapse of the Soviet Union. I remember when Gorbachev emerged and then Yeltsin and uh, around 1990, 1991, you found the Soviet Union becoming 15 different nations, and Russia was one of those 15, and Ukraine was one of those 15 nations. And, and so if you look backwards, you realize that um, the Russian, um, at least a political mindset, is that the Soviet Union belongs together. And so we should sort of, as a backdrop, realize that for Putin, because he really is reversing the direction of Gorbachev and reversing the direction of Yeltsin, moving Russia toward a democracy, is trying to reestablish that empire. And Ukraine is a significant, probably the most significant um, nation that broke off from the Soviet Union that want, want that the Russians want to regain, recapture. You know, I, I do want to like. Um, just go back. I, I I don't know why, but I just I just find this to be so interesting. And uh, in terms of the way we we address and grapple with foreign policy as a nation, I mean, we here we are in 2022 talking about Russia as perhaps the most significant um, international policy threat to. The United States of America and to the free world, and I and I still remember in the debate between uh, candidates Barack Obama and Mitt Romney that um, the question was asked, "What is the singular most important threat to the free world in the United States?" And Mitt Romney said, "Russia." 
And I remember President Obama's response before he was President Obama. He said, uh, like, Mitt, the 1980s want their foreign policy back. And everyone laughed. And, and a part of what I realized is that even people that are at the highest level of political power and leadership and access to data information, they're just so oftentimes simply wrong. And at that time, before he was president, Barack Obama could not imagine Russia ever being a significant player in, in this global conversation we're having about freedom. Yeah. And, yep. and I wish he had been right. That, that's the thing is I wish he had been right. But the 1980s foreign policy is now the, is the 2022 foreign policy is who could have imagined this. And what we have to realize is that, that political systems are driven by cultures. And if those cultures don't change, the political structures will reemerge again. And, you know, and... And so we're, we're not watching something new. This is Russia's posture historically. And Putin is closer to Stalin than he, was to, than he is to Yeltsin or Gorbachev. And, and I just want to say just from the, one moment. We, the two former presidents yeah, of Russia. We need to realize that right. as, as an American, the fact that 300 years into this thing, we still have a nation that... Um, heralds freedom and democracy, you know, with all the conflicts we have and all the crises we're in and all the, the, the um, you know, the debate that we must have about what the future of our nation looks like. A democracy is a very rare thing. Having a nation where people are actually free is the historical anomaly. See, what Putin is doing is the historic norm. What, what we in this country have experienced is the historic anomaly. And I, and I think that this is just a reminder. You cannot take freedom and democracy for granted. And, you know, and, and just like going, you know, backwards, like some of the questions about whether we should be involved as a nation in, in Ukraine. And, you know, those are big questions. Those are, those are questions that are so big that people who study this every day disagree. I mean, there, there are political leaders who are saying we should be militarily involved in, in ensuring that Ukraine is not uh, conquered, taken over by Russia. And there are people who are just as informed and knowledgeable are saying we should never be involved in this engagement. And so I don't know if there's a right or wrong in terms of a, a political position. What I do know is that there are certain cultures and, uh, that create forms of government that if they expand across the world, the world is not going to get better. The world is going to get worse. And what I, what I, I started thinking back how in the 1920s, in our universities, we were teaching in our uh, sociology courses uh, the concept of cultural relativism. And this is not a new idea. This was all the way back at the turn of the century where we were teaching that all cultures were inherently equal, that all cultures were inherently the same. And so a part of what uh, caused the United States to hesitate in engaging Germany with Hitler was this philosophical idealism that said, 
hey, we should never be involved or intrude ourselves in other cultures because all cultures are the same. They're just different. It's almost like the prime directive from Star Trek. You know, you're not supposed to be uh, involving yourself in other species uh, advancement and development. And the truth is we had to reconcile, and this, this is not PC at all. There are cultures that are inherently more evil than others. There are... No, no, not more evil. There, This is not a more. This is not a grading scale. What Russia, the culture that Russia is pushing, and there is only one poli correct political version of this. Russia, the leaders of Russia are evil. That Vladimir Putin's behavior in this directive of invading Ukraine, un, they did not pick a fight, right? They're, they have been unlawfully invaded by a former, their former dictator. This should not happen. Yes, I agree with you 100%. This, this, is, this is not a question. This is not the grade of evil. This is not, this is, there are more evil. They are evil and they must be destroyed. And not they as all of Russia. Russia needs to be freed. The, the thing that blows my mind is that Putin has twisted this, right? Like the thing we were talking about this morning is that the way that Putin phrases this is, is it, I don't want to say is genius. It's, it's evil, right? It's evil. It's, it, this is like evil genius status. I'm freeing Ukraine from their, from, pre, what, what is his last name? From president. From oppression. Yeah. He's, he's using a language of, yeah, I'm going in and I'm, I'm a peacekeeper. I'm freeing the Ukrainian people. I'm stopping the inhumanities that are happening in Ukraine. He completely flips the narrative and creates a, um, a narrative where he's the good guy. And that's what's terrifying. So there's no grade in this. This is evil. Yes. But what, what, what I was, uh, well, I'm leading to that conclusion. I was just going to get there a little slower. <laughs> no, I'm ready and to go. Because you got, you had three stories and two metaphors to explain <laughs> the conclusion. Yes, because um, it, it sounds so enlightened to say, hey, all cultures are the same. Um, they're just different. But the truth is all cultures are not the same. You know, I, I when when the Mayans cut open people and pulled out their hearts while they're still alive to offer them to the gods, that was evil. And you know we can we can address the issues of ignorance or superstition or or what informs it, but but we have to be frank and say, look, when a culture moves toward justice, when a culture moves toward uh, generosity, when a culture moves toward respect for human life, that culture is a better culture. And when a culture moves toward devaluing human life, toward oppression, toward violence, toward war, we have to acknowledge the fact that that culture is a, 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 an evil culture. It's a, and it's a more destructive culture. And there are grades of this. There are grades of this. And, I, and, but, yeah. and it should not be tolerated. You have to be careful because you use a phrase like, uh, they must be destroyed. That statement can be taken out of context. Putin has got to go. <laughs> All right. That, the, that is more the, specific. Okay, because right. It's a good position because, to hold. <laughs> like sanctions aren't enough. And I'm not saying that we need, vi we need to return in violence. The response doesn't need to be violence. But it, it doesn't, sanctions don't feel enough, right? Well, And it, it, it does feel like we have to suffocate not just financially, but socially, the their ability to to maneuver, right? Like Biden coming out and saying we're freezing all of the banks. It's one point. Did you like one and a half trillion dollars in 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 Russian banks that are operating in the UK and in the US? 
that they freeze and seize and that they're not letting. But like, let's be right. real. I mean, when we hold economic sanctions to, I guess, financially suffocate Russia, the reality is that half of Europe needs Russia because of gas, right? Gas and oil. And then, to, and that affects us. So is there anything we can actually do to deter their behavior? Yeah, because it's easy to critique political leaders when they're dealing with, with much more complicated issues than we have to. All right. So, so remember, Russia has the second most powerful nuclear arsenal in the world behind us. So we don't want a nuclear war. So you have to always bring that to the table and go, hey, we can't make decisions that's going to cause this world to have this nuclear conflict. And so you have to realize that's a part of what has to always be mitigated in any decision. And then you have this other side of it is that if we don't do anything, um, evil never has a limit. And that's what we need to understand is that when we go, oh, maybe if we let Putin take the Ukraine, it'll be enough. No. The moment we let Putin take the Ukraine easily, you need to be ready for China taking Taiwan. And then you need to be ready for Putin going after the rest of what was the former Eastern Bloc. And because evil knows no limit. Evil moves quickly. It does, right? And that's the challenge is that, that evil doesn't wait for permission and good usually does. And so it's, it's almost an offset of action and reaction when actually uh, good needs to react better. And, and I even look back and I go, a month ago, I think it was President Biden, and I'm going to be super respectful because I'm going to be respectful of whoever's in office. And um, uh, President Biden took military engagement off the table, which I think emboldened Putin. So I look at a, like a, um, a, a combination of things. One, um, Biden says publicly, we're not going to engage militarily. That emboldens Putin. Biden removes all of our military presence out of Ukraine. It's almost like, hey, we know you're not going to attack, but we're going to get out of the way so that when you attack, it's not engaging us. And then on top of that, you have China saying to Russia, hey, don't worry. Whatever sanctions the Western world imposes, we're going to cover the losses. It's like a gambler who has a, a secret billionaire covering all their losses. And, uh, and so they can gamble without risk. And, and I remember a story, and I know sometimes you think my metaphors are too long. but uh, No, no, no. It's fun, but you only get one right now. All right. You only there get was one. a rattlesnake or, um, that um, was um, told it could no longer... Uh, strike because all the venom was taken from it. And because all the venom was taken from it, it was beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten by all the other predators around. And when the, um, the agent that took the poison away hmm. saw the rattlesnake, the rattlesnake says, I can't defend myself because you took away my poison. And then the person said, I never told you to stop rattling. And, and what people are afraid of when you know a rattlesnake is the rattle more than the bite. And the moment you say, hey, we're not going to do anything, you've cut off the rattle. <laughs> and so now the person who doesn't rattle but just bites, you see, Putin doesn't rattle. He just bites. I mean, think of the contrast. We say, hey, we're not going to do anything, but you shouldn't do this. And then he says, hey, I'm just bringing a peacekeeping group. I'm just going to bring hundreds of thousands of soldiers to take over the whole country. And, and Putin's language, 
Uh, we don't have to have war. Just drop your weapons. And I'm going, I mean, uh, I mean, frankly, I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I won't be visiting uh, Russia anytime soon, but this is the language of like a perfect sociopath where everything you say is a picture of how noble you are. And, you know, in every great story, the most dangerous villain is the villain who believes that they're the hero. And I think that's Vladimir Putin. Yeah. No, I mean, I want to make comments about President Biden because I don't want to attack his his office. I, I don't agree with their posture. I do think he's a soft president, but I'm, I, I, I would rather a a, so, a slow to react president than a than a president like Donald Trump, who would probably, well, but then this didn't happen in his presidencies, and I don't want to go into that. But it it does uh, it does feel like uh, other other leaders are emboldened when we have a liberal president. When we were talking uh, about North Korea during the Trump administration, I think the North Korean president just met his match because he met someone a little crazier than him and more unpredictable. And you we know, did. One, we had the, <laughs> one of the, advantages, we had the crazy guy. Yeah. Yeah. One of the advantages you have when you have no moral compass is that you're unpredictable. And, um, and when you have a moral compass, you are predictable because you will tell the truth. You will do what's right. You will show restraint and you will, um, respect the laws. And, and, and so there's, a, there's an irony in this and, uh, Putin has no respect for any of those things. Can I ask a question? Is, was this preventable? Cause I think, I think naturally, like we already have a text message from a couple of your friends putting us on group texts with, with memes from both sides with, you know, making fun of, you know, the way Trump would handle this versus Biden and all these things. And I don't think any of it's helpful. I think it's actually like pathetic that old men are older men mature men are, are, are making fun of it. But I do think that we're, I was watching like a little biop, like a, a quick, you know, commentary on just even the ramifications of social media, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube and the modern like uh, US culture and how like the algorithms, and I don't know if this is true, there's something that can fact check, but it was, it was talking with, um, he's a CEO and mm -hmm. I don't know of what he's a former CEO, but they have like a, um, a VC podcast where they talk about like algorithms. They talk about new tech and he's talking about like the algorithms yeah. that young Chinese kids get from TikTok are very different than what we are. The U S the United, the kids in the United States see on TikTok, the kids in the United States see dumb dances and like comedic you know, videos and like silly prank things. And then in China, they're seeing engineering tech innovation. And so like the algorithm is literally built to build up China's youth versus like, um, almost like fatten up America's youth. Yeah. they uh, the algorithm makes us dumber and makes Chinese and then, children smarter, which is, and all, which is yeah. one of the best strategies. See, and I do think this is one of the differences is that, um, China is, more long-term, right. like we think in terms of years, but China thinks in terms of thousands of years. Right. And China is more than willing to wait generations for our children to get dumber and dumber and dumber so they can literally take over the world to, simply through innovation, economic development, and, uh, and debt. And so they're happy to move us into massive debt so that one day they just say, Hey, I'm just, um, I'm calling in the check and you got to pay it. 
I don't know if we're ever going to war against China. I think one day they're just going to own us. And we would have we to, to ask for money from China to go to war. Yeah. And, and I think that sometimes you don't realize that uh, nations that have been there for thousands of years have a very different way of looking at progress and advancement. And, and when you look at we, we talk about that a lot, actually, with with the yeah. with our friends in like the Jewish community who are Jewish. They talk about generational wealth versus the way that the, like the modern church and Christianity focus on it. Like we want to buy a building for our church right now, and they go, "I bought this building for my son, son, son," and they'll fig- if I can figure it out, they'll figure out what to do with the building. And it's just this different way, this different perspective of look, an outlook of the world of, you know, am I looking. Am I am I am I short sighted, or am I or am I looking at the future and am I having vision for the next generation? And I think now it does feel like it it feels and it always has felt like the U.S. was a world a superpower, and and now for the first time in maybe in history, it feels like we are um, the little brother, acting tougher than we actually are. Like, but I you think mean in we, terms of like Russia and China? No, I'm saying I'm saying we have always been known. I think the U.S. and I think. Americans believe we're still the world power, the world dominant power. And I do think the reality, especially in this moment, what this showcases is that we are the little brother to the production of ourselves. We are not actually the tough guy anymore. I think we are in reality a secondary, if you could say, to not culturally, but maybe uh, military and economically to the rest, the other countries in the world, like China and Russia and those two. Well, I, I mean, I <laughs> yeah, no, I just look at it and go, well, first of all, by the way, do you agree or disagree? Cons- Don't change the subject. I remember being in a meeting with about 20 people in president, former President Clinton. Yeah. And he talked about how one of the things that we've learned is that we are not good at nation building. Interesting. And he was very much against nation building, at least in that moment. Right. And, and I think the United States has always had a tension with um, do we engage the rest of the world in trying to build democracies? Now, I, I don't agree with him. I think we, we got bad at it. But when you look at the end of World War II, every nation that was taken in the Eastern Bloc was decimated, economically destroyed. The people were oppressed and they were, um, they were imprisoned within the Soviet Union's power. Every nation that was in Western Europe after World War II and including Germany and Japan, the, the two principal enemies yeah. of the free world, those two nations were developed. They became economic powers. They became lifelong allies to the United States. You need to look at how the conquered emerge out of those conquests to understand the difference between Western society and Russian and Chinese societies and um, the power of, of democracy over the power of socialism and communism and dictatorships. And, you know, so I, I, I actually think in that sense, he was wrong. Our nation did have a, an, an unbelievable, disproportionate positive effect on the world. The Japanese culture had enough of the cultural values in spite of the uh, horrific um, intention around World War II that democracy actually rooted in. And when we try to bring democracies to Middle Eastern countries, like, you know, wh- whether it's Libya or, or Iran or Iraq, um, their cultural values do not match um, what's needed 
to create vibrant democracies. You can't change the cultural values just by imposing democracy on a political scale. Russia attempted to create a democracy. Gorbachev and Yeltsin moved toward democracy. Clearly, there's something in the cultural values that does not allow democracy to thrive. And yet it's not true, it wasn't true in Germany, even with Nazism, it wasn't true in Japan, even with um, the, the emperor's um, notoriously evil oppression. And in this moment, I'm just looking at it going, I, I don't know how to solve the Ukraine situation. Um, when you asked me earlier, do I, is there a way to solve it? I, probably if we had been more proactive in creating an established democracy in Ukraine, and helping them establish their own independence, that would have at least mitigated what's happening now. Um, if we had taken the Russian advancement seriously earlier and realized that what they were doing was exactly what we saw, and I think we pretended it wasn't. I think today, I mean, is this right, Aaron? You and Brooke saw President Biden's um, address. He was basically saying, hey, we're gonna try some sanctions, and a month from now we'll know whether they work. A month from now, Ukraine may not exist. No, Ukraine will be will be a part of Russia in two days' time if if we don't act. I do think that the Ukrainian people value their freedom, and I think they're going to fight. And they can and, they can fight, but it's I mean, forty million. It's going to be. That's it's not enough. Be, it's going to be challenging. And you know, on a bigger issue, isn't it odd with all? the advancements in human evolution, technology, uh, education, that we still are a species of war. We, we can't go a decade without some significant engagement of war. And you know, for anyone who doesn't think that there's something wrong with the human condition and, and who doesn't understand um, why there uh, needs to be some some aspect of redemption, of transformation of the human spirit. You need to step back and look at this macro moment and realize there's something broken in the human spirit where we would rather, we value territory over human life. We will kill people to own land. And that tells me there's something wrong with us. I do want to go back to something with Ukraine. And Aaron, uh, I'd love to know your thoughts even generationally. It seems to me that before or maybe simultaneously, when the Russian troops invaded Ukraine, they there was a cyber attack that shut down the information systems across the entire nation. And that for me, I don't know, maybe we're not talking enough about that. That's more disconcerting because that tells me that Russia has been practicing um, information warfare or, or um, you know, virtual reality warfare to shut down systems. And they could easily do that to us and um, into any nation of the world. I mean, I don't know if we agree on this or if the world agrees on this, but I think the world would agree on this statement that, that Russia has been tampering, has been attempting to tamper with political systems all over the world. The U.S. does Absolutely. that too. The U.S. loves to remove yes, presidents we do. and put presidents into power. Um, but Russia is tampering with us, with ours, 
And that's where it gets. And this is what I meant in my statements of we're now the little brother. The, the big brother doesn't get messed with. <laughs> the little brother gets messed with. And when your elections are being, you know, we don't know what we don't know exactly what happened. We know the investigations prove that something happened, whether it was socially through Facebook and Instagram ads, creating, stirring hate. Something was going on with our the last two political elections right in the U.S. So we know that, there, that that's that, that there's something going on in the world. But I don't know, like, how, how do we I. 26% of Americans say they want U.S. to be involved in a war with Russia. Well, I think most Americans are actually people who long for peace. They don't want to go to war. Uh, they don't want to be involved in an engagement that, that even for them may not be personal. Uh, I think um, I would say 75% of Americans couldn't find Ukraine on a map. <laughs> and uh, so they wouldn't know where it is. It's hard to convince people that a war is significant to us. Um, we don't have a um, a treaty with Ukraine, but we didn't, you know, with Kuwait and and uh, you, you know we and, and and when you look historically, by the way, I think Biden is consistent in his uh, uh, desire to not go to war. When President Obama increased our troops in Afghanistan, Biden opposed him. When President Obama went into Libya, Biden opposed him. And uh, when um, you know, when Bush went to war, I think Biden uh, opposed most of the engagements. So he's not a person who's ever been like a warmonger. And so we shouldn't expect him to be a person who um, either leans toward war or even knows how to posture and pretend that he would consider war. I think I think the question we're going to have to ask as a nation on a large scale is, are we avoiding a conflict and we'll wait so long that we're going to have a war we can't escape. And that's the, that's in some sense the lesson of World War II is that we waited so long that it was a world war. It wasn't a world war because we engaged it too early. It was a world war because we engaged it too late. And yes, Brooke. Can I ask a question? Sure. Well, let's hope someone can answer it. <laughs> um, so the Ukraine has long held the position that they want to be a part of NATO. And NATO has resisted allowing the Ukraine to become a part of NATO so that, because if they allow the Ukraine into NATO, Russia would attack and then NATO in full force would have to respond. Article five of NATO saying that if NATO's allies are a victim of an armed attack, that all allies must go and defend. Right. Yeah, and this so, is when you, sorry. sorry. So Biden has said he doesn't want to send troops in to Ukraine right. to fight with Russia. But we have moved troops to all of the borders with Ukraine of the NATO countries to protect the NATO countries, yes. essentially leaving Ukraine, who we wouldn't allow to join, completely yep. exposed. And that's yes. my personal judgment. But what do you think of that strategy or the way that this has all played out? Well, Brooke, I don't know if you meant to, but you just um, you just described Aaron's little brother scenario. Hmm. See, if we saw ourselves as the big brother, we would have had the moral courage to allow the Ukraine to come into NATO because why do we not allow a nation that wants to be a part of democracy to join us? The reason we didn't is because we didn't want to create conflict with Russia. Mm -hmm. Now we know no, it's because, that- No, it's because Americans are democratic dictators and we have been for 50 years and we pretend that we, we sell democracy like we, uh, we sell democracy like a drug that we only sell to people that we want to buy. 
That's a harsh statement, Aaron. It is a harsh statement. Americans are cowards now. We've become cowards. We've become- Are you saying we should go to war everywhere, Aaron? No, I'm not saying we should go to war everywhere, but I do believe we could put this fire out before we have created NATO, right? I'm not saying America needs to go to war. I'm saying NATO needs to do its job. And NATO will end up in Ukraine one way or another. We know this, right? Well, why, I don't why, know. Maybe why we're just going to let Russia take over the Ukraine. Yeah, maybe. But, okay. Let, let's, no, let's, let's go. Try, come, come. Let's, let's try not I want, to I want indict this. everyone. Okay? I'm not indicting everyone. <laughs> You're saying that we're all democratic dictators. No, I'm saying um, America has become a democratic dictatorship. But we only allow... That? I mean this. We've created a club called NATO. Yes? That we only allow people that we want in. But we say that we want the world to become more democratic. We say that in Iraq, we say that in Iran, we say that in Central America when we remove presidents, but we have a problem when a country like Ukraine wants to become a part of NATO. So why would we not allow Ukraine to become a part of NATO? Can, can you answer me? Two that? reasons. Yes. Yes. One, um, we, don't, we didn't want to go to war with Russia. Because we know and, it's something that Russia wants, right? Right. So, so I. So but is Russia whole, a part of NATO? No. But here's the whole irony of this: we didn't let them become a part of NATO so that Russia wouldn't attack them, and they attacked them anyway. And so, if we had had the moral courage to allow them to become of NATO, at least Russia would have had to think wait, twice can, because wait, can, because they wouldn't have just attacked the Ukraine; they would have attacked the entire free world. Wait, and so what you what you said was we didn't allow Ukraine to become a part of NATO because we knew Russia wanted to attack them. Yes. There's no yeah. question in my mind. That's why so they the were not allowed to become part of NATO. Is true that we have become cowards. And that we only allow people to play democracy if we're willing to protect them. Well, it certainly played out that way with the with the Ukraine. That uh, I mean, it's crazy to me that a nation would say we but, want to but, become a part then, of you. We want to be part of the free world. We want to become a part of the democratic union of NATO, and and we would say mm, no because one day Russia is going to want to colonize you, and we don't want to be involved. <laughs> I mean, that is essentially what we said. And and here's the, the challenging thing for us is that we would have been more likely to be involved if. The Ukraine had more significant economic value to us. And because a lot of our decisions, many times internationally, why would we go into the Middle East? And um, I mean, why, and why establish do you a democracy East? inside of a country that didn't want it? Yeah, it's it, it's yeah. You, you No, is it, that is that it, fair it to say? Like, it just feels a little crazy when you try to go impose democracies on nations that don't want it and refuse to help move into a democratic society, nations that are asking for it. Yes, I think these are things that probably need to be addressed on a political level. And, and, uh, and you're and, right, I shouldn't make blanket statements saying that America is a, dictator, uh, a democratic dictatorship, but I do think it's It's true. a nice phrase though. <laughs> it is a nice phrase, I do think it's true. And I do think like what we did in Iraq was wrong. It was oppressive and we were there for reasons. What, so talk to us, Brooke. I do think it's worth noting that the Ukraine's major exports are neon and fertilizer. Two of which we're completely dependent on. <laughs> you know? So to your point. Look, I'm not pretending to be an expert here, but it does feel, it feels fake. 
Yeah, I think it's a, it's a challenge. Um, so if I could just say, say this on a proactive level on the flip side, I've always felt like if we want to fix things like uh, the massive immigration problem in the United States, if we want to fix things like the, the, the crime that we feel is coming across from Central America to the U.S., well, actually, it has come into the U.S., um, we should be helping Latin American countries move toward um, healthy democracies with really strong uh, capitalistic um, uh, energies of entrepreneurship and business development. And, and I don't know if we are, as a nation, forward-thinking enough. I think we need to be thinking about what do we want the world to look like in 100 years if we want the world to be free. And, and I think the reality is that the world is shaped by economies. It's not shaped as much by political ideologies as it is by uh, economic uh, ups and downs, ebbs and flows. And if we want to help democracy flourish around the world, we have to help countries move toward economic independence. And, um, and, and you know, when I look at a uh, nation like the Ukraine, I don't understand all the nuances of it. I just know that 40, 50 million people are in danger of being oppressed by a tyrannical uh, government that has no value for human life. And that, to me, is a tragedy. And as much as our nation can help prevent things like that without going into all-out war, um, the better. I have to um, imagine. Yeah. Sorry. No, I mean, I no, do want to speak to what you were talking about with cyber attacks yeah. as well. Like, we know that that was the first hit, right? That's the rumor. Yeah. Because that they were shutting down power, Wi-Fi, and like messing with even flight paths, I believe. Um, I was reading a, a blog earlier that was talking about they were tracking flight paths of like Israeli planes coming in and even like U.S. drones that were coming in and that they were like something was happening with 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 the onboard computers or I, I, this is like this is fringe stuff. This is stuff I'm reading from people who are posting in Ukraine. But I mean, it's interesting, right? It's an interesting thing that we, we that cyber is the first front of the war, like the, like yeah. the first front of any type of interaction between nations is now a cyber attack right and that's it's a really interesting space to be now where no which is it better than violence or is it more dangerous that that someone can turn off an entire an entire country's power and wi-fi and then and communication systems yeah. communication systems and completely disjoint their entire infrastructure is yeah, that scary I, well i wish it was an either or but I think it's a both and. I think the yeah. person who can begin to con control information systems, um, Wind, control right? our, yeah, they, they, that violence is coming right behind it. And, and I think these are things that have to be like addressed. You know, and from our, like, from our national perspective, one of the things that would come to my mind is um, we cannot defend the world when we're fighting with each other. We cannot make the world better when we're in constant conflict with one another. Our nation is tearing itself apart. We are um, devaluing, devaluing the progress this nation has made on a historical landscape toward freedom, liberty, and the respect of the individual by highlighting 
everywhere where we've done things wrong. And I just want to be really clear. When I hear people in the news media compare our struggles with China or compare our injustices with Russia, um, you, you don't deserve the microphone you've been given uh, because there, there's no comparable comparison between the two. And, and, and I think if you ask the people of, the, of Ukraine, with all the problems we have in the United States, would you rather be influenced by the U.S. or even supervised as a nation by the U.S. or by Russia? Hands down, people who want to live free are going to say, no, um, I'd rather have a Western uh, culture shaped by the United States than a totalitarian dictatorship shaped by the former Soviet Union, by Russia. That's the interesting thing to me, right? Like, I think that most people in these other nations, whether they agree, I, I don't know if the people in the nation would actually be against us, right? I think they would actually be pretty for us. I also just think they'd be for people. I think people are for people. I don't think there's this, like, instilled hate between countrymen and countrymen. But I do believe that, like, the common man, I have to believe that the common man and woman genuinely wants peace with their with their neighbor. I believe that too. And maybe a part of what we should be hoping for and trying to inspire is that the people of Russia would rise up against their government and say, um, we do not want to be a nation of war. Yeah. We want to, we want to be a nation of peace. We want a different future uh, for the Russian people. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of Russians who, in fact, every Russian I know loves the United States. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, every Russian I know loves free enterprise. They they love the opportunity to live in a even a capitalist society. Yeah. And every Russian I know does not want to bring uh, the Soviet ideology of socialism to the United States. And maybe we should pay attention a little bit. Yeah, uh, I always say you can always know which government is better by whether you have to keep people in or keep people out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's very interesting, right? Yeah. Um. Hey. What? I, I think this is a good conversation. I think that we've exhausted all our limited knowledge on the subject. And, um, and, and you know, I, I, I hope that our government, I hope our president uh, makes wise, uh, courageous, and, um, and eff effective decisions for the, for the people of Ukraine, for the freedom of the free world. And maybe that's socialist talk. I don't believe that because I believe I am a capitalist. I believe people should make lots of money and then <laughs> give it to people who need help and then help them, teach them how to make money and to help more people. But in this in this day and age, it does feel like, maybe this is the greatest example for the young people in America to see that socialism and communism is something that is truly evil. That's something that, is, that should not be wanted and brought into this country. That would maybe be a positive is, outcome. Right? Yeah, but I think the greatest positive outcome we want is the liberation of the Ukrainian people, of uh, a free Ukraine, independent of Russian control and oppression. And for the people of Russia to um, find uh, a passageway to creating a new nation for themselves as well. I, I you know, my, my idealism tells me inherently people want to live in a free world, to yeah. be treated with dignity, and that they want to treat other people with dignity. There are exceptions to the rule, but um, I just have to believe the Russian people were incredibly hopeful that they too would become a democratic nation. 
that they too would be a, a nation free from oppression and dictatorship. And I think this is a great disappointment to them as well. So that that's that's just my projection. And uh, I'm going to hold yeah. to it until yeah. I'm proven wrong. You know, we, sometimes we project solutions on world issues. And I, I have an idea on how to solve this problem. All right. All right. Seize all of Russian oligarchy money around the world. Take their Lambos, take their Ferraris, turn off their jets, turn off their yachts, burn them, burn them, burn them to the ground. Take their houses, take out their maids and their servants and see how quickly Russians run back to Russia. When you say take them out. Take, saying take them out. Saying, what do you mean take them out? I'm saying take them, like remove, like take away their ability to have a lifestyle in an oligarchy. Sorry, I, I've watched way too much John Wick. Not so take them said, out like assassins, Dad. <laughs> I'm saying, like, take, like, cut off their ability to spend the money that they so love, so dearly love. Like, yeah, it is interesting that in nations that promote socialism, like Russia, the uh, the powerful are um, insanely rich, and so that's how you know an ideology isn't authentic. Because the people who are in power do not live out the, the, the ideology that they promote to the rest of society. Yeah. And our prayers with everyone in, in the Ukraine and Eastern Europe, all over Europe and in Russia. We're going to end this episode now. Thank you, Dad, for your wisdom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope it was somewhat helpful. I'm not sure if I was helpful, but I am grateful that you listen. Thank you so much. And check out our other podcasts. Rate and review this podcast. You can, I guess, rate and review it on Spotify. Um, you can like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, and you can rate and review on Apple Podcast. Check it out. We will see you guys soon next week, Friday. Bye. All right. Have a great week.